Hey, everybody. Welcome to Beyond a Reasonable Poor podcast. Uh, my name is Dylan Carpenter, and I'm joined here with my co-host, Zach Landers. Zach, thank you for uh, joining us today. Um, we have a, a great show today, but first I kind of want to explain, this is a new podcast. We might have some new listeners. Because this is the first episode. This is the first episode. Zach, why don't you go ahead and, uh, and introduce yourself for us? Well, my name is Zach Landers. I am a lawyer, and I thought, what an interesting idea to take part in a true crime podcast when I actually practice law. So true crime podcast. Um, that is part of our, uh, part of our mission here on the beyond a reasonable poor podcast. Um, and the other half of that is uh, spirits, alcohol, whiskey, bourbon, scotch. We're not really trying to limit ourselves to any one type of, uh, uh, of alcohol, but I think we're going to stay around in the whiskey area. Um, and, uh, we're going to do a little bit of whiskey reviews, uh, tell you what we're drinking and then, um, allow you to get yourself a glass in that time. And then we'll go into a true crime story. Um, this, this episode, uh, is bourbon related, um, as you'll come to find out. Um, they won't all be though. I think, uh, while we've been talking, we've been discussing cold cases, um, you know, murder mysteries, any anything that has to do with true crime. Indeed. We'll probably be sticking primarily with American true crime. So why not start out with bourbon? The American spirit. That's correct. Cheers. Cheers. So what, what we have in our glass today is... Buffalo Trace, owned Kentucky by the Kentucky Straight Bourbon Whiskey. Kentucky Straight Bourbon Whiskey. Uh, it is owned by the Sazerac Company now, uh, under Master Distiller Harlan Wheatley um, of Wheatley Vodka fame. Um, this is a uh, kind of a, an, it's got a nice amber hue uh, to it. As I look at it in my Glencairn glass here, uh, Zach is also drinking from a Glencairn. We've we've had this rested about fifteen to twenty minutes. Um, it is a forty five percent alcohol by volume, 90 proof, um, no age statement on this, but it is rumored to be, uh, aged anywhere between seven and nine years. Um, it is Buffalo Trace's mash bill number one, uh, which is their low rye mash bill. Uh, what is a mash bill? So the mash bill is basically the, uh, the ingredients. So basically, uh, the mash bill is, uh, an assortment of, uh, for bourbon, it has to be at least 51% corn, to be called bourbon, um, and then some amount of rye and or wheat, and then uh, malted barley to help that process along. So um, this is mash bill number one. We don't know exactly what what uh, how much rye they use, but it's estimated to be about seven to ten percent rye. And I picked up this bottle of Buffalo Trace uh, for twenty five dollars and ninety nine cents before tax. So it's a budget bottle it of is, bourbon. It is definitely a budget bottle, at least around me. Um, you know, you live about 45 minutes away from me and it's a little bit more expensive. And a I saw bit it on the shelf. I saw it on the shelf for $40 once. Wow. And I thought, golly, what is this country coming to? $40 for Buffalo Trace. Uh, so it's, it's, it's not easy to find near me. I wouldn't say that it's, you know, I can walk into any store and get it. Um, it kind of depends here. Uh, it used to be very plentiful around here. Um, but actually f- sourcing this bottle, uh, I had a bit of a panic, um, because we wanted to get a new 
new bottle. And I had to go maybe three or four stores before I found one that had two bottles and I bought both uh, because we needed one for the podcast and I want one for my shelf as well. But yeah, uh, it, it could be anywhere from medium scarcity to almost impossible to find in some areas that I've seen online. But uh, let's let's go ahead. I I, I kind of want to start drinking this. So let's. All right, sounds cheers. good. All right. So on the nose, I'm definitely uh, I'm smelling some cherries for sure. A little bit of vanilla caramel. I will say it's better than I remember it. Yeah. I've really been getting into bourbon lately. Due to the fact that I'm going to have to talk about it. <laughs> that is, that is a good, uh, that is a good way to get into it. I've been into bourbon for, I've been drinking bourbon for maybe four or five years. Uh, started out with, uh, you know, daily sippers like, um, Maker's Mark, uh, eventually found my way through like Old Forester and Buffalo Trace was the bottle that I had my shelf. I had one bottle of bourbon and it was Buffalo Trace. Is that right? So, uh, I guess go ahead and clarify my biases coming out of the gate um, going through college my roommate and i drank a lot of bourbon and we drank a lot of scotch but we never really paid attention to what we were drinking per se we always really liked knob creek because we were college kids and we liked the way it burned sure um since then i i drank a lot of scotch when going through law school and then switched to bourbon very recently and haven't looked back. I haven't tried. I haven't had a bottle of scotch since probably a couple months, which is un, unorthodox for me. I feel like, um, you know, one, one of the couple main ways that I've heard people getting into bourbon is either through scotch or through uh, craft beer. We have a lot of uh, people who were riding the craft beer wave and now they're kind of riding the, the bourbon wave. I'm still riding the craft beer wave when I go out to the bar. You can have a lot more beer than you can bourbon. <laughs> right. And exactly. still drive. It depends. It depends on where I'm going after. Right. Don't drink and drive. Or if I'm at home. Right. Says the lawyer. Thank you very much. Yeah. So as I'm tasting this, I mean, it's very, it's, it's got, when I first had this, I liked it because it was spicy. Um, I've since had other bourbons uh, and it is, it is now a lot more mild. It's very soft. I think it's an I easy drinker. I will tell you this. I have not really liked anything under 90 proof, which this, is this bottle at. is 90. Yep. And I've had a couple of bottles of some things that are under 90 and I haven't enjoyed them. And there are actually quite a few bottles between 90 and 94 that I don't much care for. But this one's pretty good. It's smooth. It's easy to drink. Personally, I find it better than a lot of bottles that are twice its price at around that proof. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, and, I mean, even getting into some of the, the real rare stuff and it, that kind of shows why, uh, you know, Buffalo Trace is hard to find. It's a good when you can find it at that price. I mean, it's a no brainer at twenty five ninety nine. I, I might have to think about it at 40 or 50 as some people have have seen it on the shelves. But uh, at twenty five ninety nine, it's I mean, it's a it's an immediate buy. And I'm I'm really enjoying this this taste. Uh, actually, I, I thought I would I thought I would be more critical about it. Uh, I thought I would be too. The last time I had this, I didn't like it very much. Maybe I, think, I had a bad batch. <laughs> I think some of the hype um, maybe has tainted my expectations too, because you want to think, you know, oh, it, it can't be as good as, you know, everybody just, you, you see bottle pictures online. Look what I found today. And it's a bottle of Buffalo Trace. And you're just like, really? But, you know, it's more scarce than other places. It used to be in abundance. 
It did. When I when I was in college, I mean, you could always find a bottle of Buffalo Trace for around twenty five dollars. Yeah. And now you go. Most places are limiting one per customer. Mm-hmm. Now on this bottle, and I don't know why. Do you know why that is? So actually, I stopped in to um, I talked with Chris down at Friendly Package on Jackson just yesterday about this. And uh, I had the same question. I was like, hey, you know, is there what's going on? I've heard like uh, brands like Wild Turkey is having a glass bottle shortage. Um, and he said the the main reason for that is bottles like Jack Daniels, you know, who have that that square like. If you saw a bottle of Jack Daniels in another shaped bottle, you'd think it was fake or something, right? Right. So these glass producers are putting more resources towards those trademark glass bottles. And some of the bottles that are odd shaped, you know, rare breed, uh, Woodford Reserve is having that problem. Some of, some of these unique bottles that are not the flagship bottles, the resources are going into the flagship bottles and they're running out of bottles for the, for the for the downline so woodford reserve rare breed and i said is that what's going on with buffalo trace because there's no way that the actual bourbon you know they make so much there's no way that there's a juice scarcity right um and he said actually and and this is this is hearsay i've not looked into this at all this is just what i've heard yesterday that it's um should i be objecting a, a trucking issue is what i've heard like i said um, you can do your own research on that. I actually, I wasn't expecting to talk about this, but uh, that's, uh, like I said, I've, I've heard from one person in a, in a trusted position that um, Buffalo Trace and their truckers just kind of aren't getting along. Interesting. So, well, there you go. That's, you that's know, the inside scoop. Have you ever seen bottles from like the early 20th century of bourbon? I'm sure I have. That, I mean, I don't think that they, decided as a marketing you know tool <laughs> to put it in the same shape bottle every time i think they just use what they can get right we should go back to like that. the old wine bottles just the old straight correct like if it's rare. you know my understanding is if it says bottled in bond then you can trust it right which this particular bottle doesn't say do you know what that means bottled in bond so bottled in bond is actually a government term that means uh, it has to be it has to be the same distillery the same season uh, has to be entered the bottle at 100% or not 100%, 50% alcohol by volume, 100 proof. Um, and I feel like there maybe are a couple other points in there that makes it bottle and bottle. But basically, that's bottled under the government supervision. Right. Is kind of that. that I've heard so also particular stipulations. Right. I've heard also uh, no additives. Correct. That it's, it's the absolute whatever came out of the barrel. They didn't add any coloring to it. They didn't add any flavors to it. It's exactly what was aged in the barrel. That's true for all bourbons. Actually, you can't call it bourbon if uh, you add any additives or uh, even technically uh, you see like double oaked, these finishes. Um, That is a craft spirit made with Kentucky bourbon. If you read the label really closely, a lot of these finishes aren't technically bourbon. Is that right? It's true. I enjoy some of those double oaked. I Miles. I have a Hugh Hamer double oaked that is delicious, and you just actually gave me a sample of the Woodford Reserve double oak that I'm right. really excited to try. So, what do you taste, Dylan? So yeah, we we talked about this is a very easy drinker. A um, little bit of cherries on the nose, vanilla and caramel on the nose for sure. That that trademark bourbon sweetness that you get as you speak. I can smell these things and taste these tastes, but without your guidance, Dylan. 
I think I would have been like, yep, that's bourbon. <laughs> it certainly is bourbon. It's, I mean, it's, it's nothing, you know, it's nothing amazing. It's not, not too complex. There's not just flavors bursting out. You know, sometimes you talk about a certain bourbon being a cinnamon bomb or a cherry bomb. It's not that it's actually pretty well balanced. I think, um, I'm getting a, a little bit of definitely that, that like red fruit taste. I'm going to say like, like cherries on, on the beginning. I get the vanilla and the caramel in there. I noticed some oakiness with this one. And I think that it's a combination of that vanilla caramel because the vanilla and caramel to me, I associate those flavors with something sweet. And this doesn't necessarily taste sweet to me. I notice what you mean, though, that it has the scent of vanilla and the scent of caramel. But then once I actually taste it, it tastes like an oaky finish, so to speak, on the the end of it. I I get that, uh, that typical bourbon, you know, vanilla caramel taste on the very front end, but it's not sweet. Yeah. And, and, you know, it's more of a balance. I've, I've got certain whiskeys on my shelf that I say, you know, um, friends come over and I say, what kind of, what kind of flavors do you like? Do you like cinnamon? Do you like like bakery sweets? Do you like pastries or do you like fruity sweets? And I've got certain whiskeys that I'll, I'll grab immediately. Um, this isn't one of those that I can do that. You know, there's, there's not much cinnamon on it. I wouldn't, I would say this is kind of a combination of the the baking sweet and the fruity sweet. Um, but I definitely see what you say about the oak. And this is, you know, it's got no age statement, but they they say it's between seven and nine years old. And, and that's where the oak comes from. And I can definitely taste that oak uh, on the finish. It has kind of a sort of, it, it almost, it's a quick drying finish. Um, it's not too long. It doesn't stick with you like some whiskeys does. But uh, definitely on the finish, you get just a hint of oak and then it's gone. It's definitely not offensive. Not whatsoever. It's an easy sipper. If someone doesn't like bourbon, you could make a cocktail out of this and probably anyone would enjoy that. Absolutely. It's it's a nice budget bourbon to have on the shelf. Definitely a, a daily drinker if you can find it uh, at a decent price. I, I would maybe pay $35 for this. Um but uh, it, it'd be a hard sell above that. And uh, especially if I have to, you know, I had to run around for this one for, uh, for podcast purposes, but I, I don't, I think I would have found something else on the shelf if uh, the first place I went to didn't have Buffalo Trace. I've definitely paid $35 for bourbons that I didn't like as much as this. We'll get to that eventually. <laughs> we'll, we'll get to that. Absolutely. All right. So yeah, I, I would say this is a, this is a, a good easy drinker for sure. All right. So what else are we talking about with this bourbon, Dylan? Well, I think we've pretty much covered it. Um, I think we had a pretty good discussion of the bourbon. I, I'm kind of interested in hearing what uh, what you've brought to us here. Okay. Well, what can you tell me about Pappy Van Winkle? Pappy Van Winkle. So it, it's not an accident that we chose to do Buffalo Trace for um, for this episode. I, I knew that we were going to be talking about Van Winkle. I don't, I don't know. Uh, and that's the charm I hope is that, uh, I've not heard anything about what Zek is about to, to tell us, but I did know that it was about Pappy Van Winkle. Uh, uh, Pappy Van Winkle was Julian Van Winkle senior of which there have been three Julian Van Winkles. Uh, Julian Van Winkle, the third is now, uh, the master distiller along with his son, Preston at, uh, the, the Van Winkle distillery, which is owned by Sazerac and distilled at Buffalo Trace Distillery. Uh, so they have kind of a, a long legendary uh, uh, name in the bourbon community. Um, 
Pappy, Julian Van Winkle Sr., was actually hired by William LaRue Weller uh, as a salesman for his whiskey brand. Um, then obviously the the weeded influence stuck with him, and Pappy Van Winkle is one of the most sought after weeded bourbons that uh, that you can find or can't find nowadays. Do you know how much of it is made a year? I actually don't know. It is seven thousand cases, which is approximately eighty four thousand bottles. Interesting. What? That's right. And now is a good time for a break. <laughs> you ever heard of Pappygate, Dylan? Only in the context of this podcast. Um, when you were when you were looking for uh, for true crime stories to to tell us about, um, you asked me that question. I said I hadn't, and then I think that's where the idea came from. Where I shouldn't. Um, so this is going to be all new to me. So I'm going to play the I'm going to play the rube in this story and just you know add some color commentary. But uh, tell us about tell us about Pappygate. So Dylan's aware that there is a Pappygate case, but he doesn't know what that means at all. When I was thinking of a case to bring for the first episode, I thought, how appropriate. Let's talk about a bourbon heist, essentially. And Netflix has used that term. They have a a docuseries called Heist. Check it out sometime. It's a good show. Uh, Each, it's a set of two episodes for each individual heist. So they have a couple different ones on there. And one of them is called the bourbon King, which is a lot of my information is going to be coming from that docuseries, as well as some news articles that I found. One of the most frustrating things to me as an attorney is what I really want to see are the actual court filings. I learned that there is a public law, uh, open records law, if you will, in Kentucky. Most states have them. The federal government has one. However, for Kentuckys, you have to be a resident of the Commonwealth, which uh, I am not. We are not. We are based in Indiana, if we didn't already say that. So we are not Kentuckians. We are Indianians. Hoosiers, I believe, is the common term. Hoosiers. And if you went to Indiana University, you're a smart person. Chirp, chirp. Full state. So I could not actually get the court filings. I couldn't figure out a way to get them online. And I went as far as to call the clerk of Franklin County who informed me, you are not a resident of the Commonwealth. Piss off. Uh, So I said, fair enough, because I wasn't going to lie and tell her I was. Sure. Right. So my information may not be 100% accurate. And if it's not, please comment. Please let me know if I get anything wrong. And if we do have any residents of Kentucky who want to help us out to get some, you know, more detailed information about this case, uh, you know, send us an email, reasonablepoor at gmail.com. Send us that email. We're happy to look at any information you can send us uh, so we can get it right because I don't want to get it wrong. Absolutely. Uh, Here's what I know about the facts of the case. Tell me the facts, Zach. So essentially... There was a guy who was working at Buffalo Trace Distillery. He started working at Buffalo Trace Distillery in the 90s. Okay. His name was Gilbert, but he went by Toby. I don't know if that's a middle name. I think I get the vibe. It's a middle name. Gilbert Toby Kurtzinger. 
There's was, no bourbons named after Gilbert. There's plenty named after. <laughs> not yet. Name, named after not Blanton's yet. and uh, Taylor and if, Elmer T. Lee, but there's no Kurt Singer. If there was a bottle named the Kurt Singer, I would absolutely buy that bottle because this story is infamous and uh, relatively interesting. So it's it's a larceny style offense, which means uh, someone's taking something that doesn't belong to them. Essentially, the allegation was that back in 2013, someone who was supposed to be keeping track of how much Pappy Van Winkle the distillery had noticed that there was quite a bit missing. And I've seen some different numbers from Esquire, who wrote an article about this. Uh, Another newspaper had written an article uh, that I can't remember the name, but essentially everyone's in the same approximation of around 65 cases were missing. Okay. Okay. At any rate, in 2013, someone noticed that, hey, we got a lot of happy missing. WTF, mate. So the sheriff was informed, essentially, that, hey, we got this missing. We don't know what's going on. Something's going on. Flashback to mid-2000s. Okay. Actually, let's go back to the the 90s. Toby Kurtzinger, to... understand a little bit of his background he was big into softball okay and he was big into working out with his buddies he was a guy's guy okay uh he had a a group of friends around him that he was very close with because he played softball with them. he eventually gets married as you do and sure. his wife was like hey it's me or softball right wow. and that makes sense i so think- he kept his bat and he kept his ball <laughs> But he had to quit playing softball. Oh. And so he ended up, uh, you know, choosing the woman over the game. Right. Well, at some point. He found out because someone was over at his house. This is based on the Netflix portrayal of what happened. And I think this is essentially Toby's side of the story. Someone was at his house and they were drinking some Van Winkle. And I'm not sure what bottle it was, what year. I don't know. They were drinking it. And this guy was like, can you get more of that? And he's like, what do you mean? Well, I got some guys that are really interested in this and will buy it off of you. And he, his response initially, according to him in the documentary is, nah, I, I drink this because I like it. I'm not trying to get involved with any of that. Sure. Right. Well, the guy said, well, do you got any more? He gave him two bottles and said, get the hell out of here. The guy comes back at some point with a wad of cash and says, oh, wow. if you got more where that came from. We'll take it. Okay. And in the Netflix series, the episode, he's like, that's about as much money as I make in a month. Is what you just brought me for a couple of bottles, two bottles of Van Winkle. Right. Then he hops online and he sees what this stuff is going for. And back then it was only going 15 year, 20 year was only going for about a thousand dollars. Oh, wow. What's it going for now, Dylan? Oh, it's it's easily five times that on the secondary market, on the secondary market. I've seen it. I've gone online. I've seen it for like seven grand. Absolutely. Yeah, it'll go. It'll go at auction for. I mean, sky's the limit. Right. Depending on the auction. So this is valuable juice, so to speak. Absolutely. Um, to kind of give you a background 
for Toby Kurtzinger. When he first started at Buffalo Trace, he didn't like bourbon. Okay. A weird. I my understanding is this kind of job was is a really good job in terms of someone who uh, didn't pursue some sort of professional degree. This is a good job for someone who's a laborer. Yeah. Someone who's looking to support a family, buy a house, build up a retirement, retire at a reasonable age. So he was a blue collar worker doing white collar crime. Kind of. So at any rate, he starts there. He doesn't like bourbon. One of the first days he's there, I I believe in the documentary uh, or the docuseries on Netflix, it indicates that this was a supervisor, but it may have just been a co-worker. Grabs one of the bottles off the rack and pours everyone around a shot. And basically says, all right, let's, you know, let's take this. And so they're just shooting Pappy Van Winkle. I don't think it's Pappy. Oh, it's okay, never okay. indicated what it is, but gotcha. there's a bottle of some sort. Bottle whether of it's, something. Okay. Whether it's just regular Buffalo Trace, I don't I don't actually know. Sure. Um, I think the portrayal on the docuseries when they do the reenactment, it's just Buffalo Trace. Okay. Um, but at any rate, pours a shot for everyone and says, everyone's going to take a shot. And Toby's like, kind of like, Nah, man, I don't, I don't like bourbon. And so he says, you're going to take this shot now. Basically saying, you're not going to rat on us because you're a part of it. Gotcha. That gets him started yeah. in bourbon. Also gives some context for maybe that there is some leeway to the morality of this situation mm-hmm. of stealing stuff from your employer. Right? Mm-hmm. So... He works there, and this is the mid-2000s. He discovers this Van Winkle is very valuable, right? So he starts taking bottles. Sure. He takes bottles left and right. He goes into the lab where they're, like, testing and making sure, because my understanding is not every barrel necessarily ends up as pappy, right? Right. Yeah, there's certain standards and qualifications that go into selecting the barrels. And, yeah, absolutely. Some of them might end up as well or 12-year uh, from what I've heard is kind of missed the, missed the cutoff for a Pappy Van Winkle. It's the same mash bill. Sure. But it's, yeah. it, you know, they're, Cause they're Buffalo looking, Trace has one weeded mash bill. Right. And on top of that bourbon, the way it ages, maybe this barrel just didn't end up as good as we anticipated. Sure. Right. Uh, it could be the weather fluctuations. I, the, through the years it was aged, who knows? Right. So at any rate, he goes in and he's just getting bottles of this Van Winkle and he's selling that to doctors, lawyers and judges who are in senators. Apparently, according to the Netflix docuseries, he's selling it to basically people with money who are spending, you know, secondary market prices. People who don't have the time to hunt, but who have the money to buy. Exactly. It also seems from the, the docuseries, they mentioned this, that he would show up in a Buffalo Trace polo or... Or some sort of Buffalo Trace work shirt. Oh, okay. To make it seem more my, official. Well, that's my opinion. Is yeah. that I think it he was trying to make it seem like this is legit rather it's, than yeah. this is me stealing and right, right. then selling it to you. He's trying to put his official credentials on his shirt and make them feel more at ease. A hundred percent. Yeah. So the sheriff gets called in 2013, starts conducting an investigation. What they do first, which is what I think most law enforcement agencies do, is they start interviewing people. Mm-hmm. They interview the person who called. They interview a lot of the employees. Um, my understanding is a lot of people were relatively uh, cooperative. Mm-hmm. Uh, at some point 
in 2015. So now we're talking 2013. According to the docuseries on Netflix, um, Toby Kurtzinger. Now, let me ask you, Dylan. I'll just ask you something. Okay. If you're taking from your employer and now all of a sudden the sheriff is snooping around, what do you think you're going to not do? Oh, I'm not taking from my employer. I'm going to stop doing whatever I was doing. So I don't, don't want to get caught. Right. For sure. So according to the docuseries, it implies, and in, in Toby Kurtzinger's own statements, it implies that he's like, I'm going to keep taking all this shit and I'm going to keep selling it. And it's not just the pappy that he's selling, by so the way. So he kept going. He didn't, he didn't take a hint. He just, it just kept happening. Correct. Wow. And it wasn't just the Pappy, like I said. He's taken Eagle Rare. He's taken Blanton's. Oh, anything he could get his hands on. All these bourbons are distilled by Buffalo Trace and are relatively hard to find. Sure. Right. So he's taken anything and everything. He is, um, he's got a friend from his softball days who works at Wild Turkey, who has access to barrels. He's taken barrels. Wow. Selling barrels to people. Barrels aren't cheap, man. Those no. are like it's a lot of bourbon. Hundreds of yeah. So he's doing all sorts of shit. He's going at night, getting these barrels. He's paying off guards, is implied by the docuseries. Okay. When he's pulling out with his truck full of cases of bourbon, a guard might come up and say, What's up? What's and going they, on, buddy? He hands him some cash sure. and they say, I don't I don't see nothing. I don't know nothing about nothing. So he continues to do this after the sheriff starts snooping around in 2013. Come 2015, the sheriff put out, and I don't know when they put this out. It was somewhere between the start of the case and this 2015. I think it's uh, early summer, mm-hmm. 2015. Um, they put out a reward, $10,000 to anyone who can give us information on this. They're getting desperate, obviously. It's like two bottles of Pappy, man. What I <laughs> what I don't understand is they've been at this for you know two years and they still don't know who's yeah. doing it. Now the sheriff indicates on this docuseries, he's also interviewed. And he's like, I knew from the start it had to be an inside job. Oh yeah. What can you tell me? And I don't actually know this, but I know it's big. What can you tell me about the surface area of Buffalo Trace? I mean, they have several tours, several different tours that you can take to right. look at different parts of the the facility. So, I mean, it's not small. It's huge. It's huge, right? yeah. So, to be able to monitor that, I think maybe one mistake that Buffalo Trace made was trusting live security rather than just getting some cameras. At any rate, the... And, and just, to, just to jump in here, too, uh, currently... Buffalo Trace Distillery has 200 employees, which I mean is kind of is kind of big, but it's not really big on the scheme of of this kind of scale. You know, w- it's not it's not a lot of employees to have to filter through and figure out who can maybe you, did it. But can you look up the legal acreage of absolutely their distillery? Four hundred and thirty nine acres. That's at huge. Buffalo Trace. That's a big. That's, that's a big huge. compound. So yeah. it makes sense that you only have 200 people. That is approximately what? 2.15 acres per employee. At any rate, I'm trying to I'm trying to find a city that has is like 400 acres, but it's not. I'm also going to give you um that that brings up a big point of 
you know, you're talking about the city, the, the size of Franklin County, which is where this take place is about 50,000 between 50,000 and 51,000. That's not that big. Point is, is that the population is pretty small, actually. Yeah. Just to give some context of this is what we're dealing with. There are a lot of people in a, in a county that size. I bet you a ton of people know what Toby Kurtzinger's doing. Oh, yeah. And they're not people, calling yeah, the police. Yeah, people know, yeah. People are aware. Right. I'm from a small town. You're from a small How town. How many people have he, has he sold to? They're in it. You know what I mean? They're complicit right. in his action. So if, if they speak up, then they're admitting to a crime themselves. Potentially. Depends. But there's a, according to the docuseries, there's a good old boy code. Right. Yep. You know, if you have a bottle of Pappy, none of my business where it came from. Oh, absolutely. Sort of mentality. All right. So in 2015, someone gives a tip. And it's unclear to me, based on the docuseries and the news articles I've read, whether or not that tip was actually anonymous, but it remained anonymous. So they said, you better look into Toby Kurtzinger or Gilbert Kurtzinger, whatever they said. They're going to look at Kurtzinger. So they start looking at Kurtzinger. And they notice on his property barrels. Ah. They take this information. These barrels are sitting outside, by the sure. way. Sure. They take this information. They apply for a search warrant. Well, this guy has already demonstrated that he's not really the sharpest tool in the shed because like, there's an investigation going on and you're still doing your racket. You know what I mean? You're still stealing the barrels. You're still stealing the bottles. He was cocky for yeah. sure. Oh yeah. And he continued to do what he was doing. He was making a lot of money. Yeah. That's hard to give up. You're a, making cash money, homie. A bottle of Pappy. Let's let's live in an imaginary world for a second. If you just walked into I a love store this world. to buy a bottle of Pappy and you look at one on the shelf, I mean, what I, what's going to be the price? It's like 100 bucks, right? 200 uh, bucks maybe? Back then it started to go up. Right now, if we saw a bottle of Pappy, Dylan, what are you willing to pay for a bottle of actual Pappy? Not the old rip in. We're talking 15 year, 20 year, or 23 year. Oh, Let's man. just go with 15 year. What are you willing to pay if you see 15 year on the shelf? You know, right now, I would. Uh, that's a good question. That's it a is. hard question. It's one of those things that you don't think about, Until but you probably should think about it because yeah. if it happens, Gosh. What are you actually willing to pay? Are you willing to run the credit card up? Man. Okay. If I had I would had, pay more than that. Is what if I'm trying I had to say. had a pour at a bar and I liked it. Okay. Maybe $400. I was going to say I would go up to five. $500. I would buy that. And knowing somebody, I'm telling you right now, if I buy a somebody, bottle of Pappy, I'm not selling it. Somebody might buy a bottle of Pappy in hopes that he could buy three or four, 10 other bottles of decent bourbon. But then you're talking Toby Kurtzinger style of conduct. I would never do that personally. Me but neither. I know there are people who might buy a bottle of bourbon in order to trade there it or sell it. There are people who might sell and trade without a liquor license. That's true. Which is technically illegal. At any rate, someone gives the anonymous tip. They see these barrels on his property. Now, there, here's an interesting part of the case, uh, but we'll come back to it. So put that in your uh, your brain here. We're going to come back to this, them seeing these barrels it's on It's in his the property. filing cabinet. 
They get a search warrant. They go and search. They find in his safe. Here's where the case gets really sexy, Dylan. (laughs) They find in a safe in his house, steroids, money, lots of cash. They find lots of bottles of bourbon that obviously came from Buffalo Trace. The steroids, obviously, because you have to be really strong to physically steal bottles of <laughs> bourbon, right? That's what the steroids... So the docu-series, the the docu-series lets this little nugget of fun information go very early. Now, he was into steroids back when he was playing softball. Oh, yeah, the softball influence, for sure. Right, yeah, so he okay. was lifting But it helps buds. lifting bottles of, or barrels of alcohol, According too, to I him, assume. well, I assume, but I, I would bet they're not lifting them without a <laughs> forklift. But I don't know that. There are several people maybe, involved Maybe in he did lift it all on his own. Um, at any rate, so back in his softball days, he, they would hit the gym. He would lift. They would take steroids. It was a vanity drug, as he put it. And um, he would deal steroids, which, you know, didn't really become crystal clear to me. The first viewing of the docuseries, because some things get by me. Usually when I'm watching TV, I'm drinking liquor. There you go. And I'm not really paying attention. I'm talking to my wife a lot. So it got by me the first time until like the second episode that he, this guy was dealing this shit. It wasn't huh. him just taking it, right? He it's was like, you want like, it. you want like a bottle of Pappy and a, like, how do steroids come? You inject it. You inject steroids. So like yeah. Pappy and a syringe. Here you go. Bong and a blintz. So they find all this stuff. They start questioning him. At some point, um, his wife kind of comes in and says like, you're not saying anymore. And it's like, yeah, it makes sense. You got a Fifth Amendment right to shut the fuck up, basically. Uh, so he gets charged. And he what he gets charged with, I, I assume among other things. But it's hard for me to actually figure out what all he was indicted for. Without those papers that you were talking about earlier. Without an actual, like, charging the information or indictment or however Kentucky. Um, some states, you have to go through a grand jury. Federal government, if they're going to file a federal indictment against you, they have to go through a grand jury. So in this case, I don't know if Kentucky had to do it um, because I don't know anything about Kentucky law per se. I, sure. I'm licensed in Indiana, but they went through a grand jury, which means they took it to a group of people who are sitting on the grand jury for a specified period of time. And they presented evidence to that grand jury and they said, um, the prosecutor runs this whole show. Okay. And they will basically tell the grand jury what they think. They will probably make a request only give us what's called a true bill, which means yes, you should file these charges. If you think we can prove it beyond a reasonable doubt, the grand jury, what they're charged with is just determining whether there's probable cause. So it can it just, be a, it, you're, you're, it's peer review. You're asking like a bunch of other people. Like, that's a hey, good way of putting it. Hey, this is, this is what I think. Do y'all agree? Right. And all their job is to determine probable cause. Um, but I've seen prosecutors say, not me personally, but I've seen other prosecutors say, don't return a true bill. If you don't think I can prove it beyond a reasonable doubt. And they'll explain very thoroughly what reasonable doubt versus probable cause is because they're not the same thing. Yeah. So can you give us the cliff notes of probable cause versus beyond a reasonable doubt? 
Sure. The way I like to explain it, you have enough evidence to say that a crime probably has occurred or is occurring. It's usually a term that police officers have to determine uh, in the moment. Beyond a reasonable doubt is something that a jury or a judge, depending on if your trial is to a jury or to the judge, they have to determine whether or not a crime has been committed beyond a reasonable doubt. That means every single element of the crime must be proven by the state beyond a reasonable doubt. Beyond a reasonable doubt does not mean beyond a shadow of a doubt. It's not proof of 100% certainty. What it means is that you are firmly convinced that the crime was committed. And generally, it means that you can rely upon that. And it's a matter of the highest importance. So can you, is there a way that you can... um Boil that all down back to your main point about, I think we were talking about. Well, let's talk about the elements of what uh, (laughs) Toby Kurtzinger, the lead charge of what he was charged with. He was charged with engaging in organized crime. Okay. Which sounds sexy. Yeah. That's like, that's some mobster stuff. Is this, I mean, this is 2013. This isn't prohibition in the twenties, you know? Right. So basically And there are a lot of subsections to this because the Kentucky legislature felt it necessary to very uh, make this statute pretty broad. And what they said is a person with the purpose to establish or maintain a criminal syndicate or to facilitate any of its activities shall not do any of the following. (laughs) A. (laughs) Organize or participate in organizing a criminal syndicate or any of its activities. B, provide material aid to a criminal syndicate or any of its activities, whether such aid is in the form of money or property or credit. C, manage, supervise, or direct any of the activities of a criminal syndicate at any level of responsibility. D, knowingly furnish legal accounting or other managerial services to a criminal syndicate, E, commit or conspire or attempt to commit or act as an accomplice in the commission of any offense of a type which, and my document cut off, so we don't have the rest of E, (laughs) F, commit or conspire or attempt to commit or act as an accomplice in the commission of any offense of violence. I think we're already there. So let's go so, back. So all to, of that to say, to boil it all down. There's more, is by the basically, way. Basically, you, you and your buddies are doing something illegal is what that means. It's like you have some, like, it's not just you committing this crime. You're getting some help. You're organizing it. You're organi- It's organized crime. Hey, organized there it is. Organized crime. There's right. the buzzword. So basically what they're doing is they're organized in theft and then dealing of Items that they have stolen. Because he's not doing this alone. No. So that goes back to the softball buddies. Yeah. Right? Softball buddies, he basically recruits them to help him. Yeah. Some of them steal stuff for him. That wild turkey guy that I mentioned earlier, he helps him get some barrels. Right? Um. So let's go back to the barrels. In the case, he's charged with this offense. His wife is charged with this offense. Oh, wow. 
Okay. Um, a lot of his buddies are charged. However, a lot of his buddies cooperate. Sure. And get either good plea deals or immunity. Oh, yeah. They have information and they're like, hey, listen, I'll give you this information if you go easy on me. Right. Yeah. I don't know. I'm not going to speak to what happened to his buddies. Sure. I don't even really remember. That's the their gist names. of a plea deal: is hey, I have inf- I have something valuable to you, but I'm not going to give it up unless you basically go easy on. Sometimes me. a prosecutor can offer immunity, which means he's going to dismiss or not file any charges yeah. against someone for because they're going for the big fish. In this case, that's what they were doing. Yeah. Um. So they they find this guy named Greg Anglin, who they interview and they have offered immunity to. And I'm not going to save this part for the end because I think it's funny. (laughs) Uh, It turns out that this particular guy who's offering some information who was already granted immunity before they knew what he had to say uh, is the one that took it's speculated. He's the one that took all the cases of Pappy that led to the start of the investigation. Oh, wow. So, so he's the, he's the sloppy, he's the loose end. He's the sloppy guy. Well, he's the guy. No, no, no. He didn't even know Toby Kurtzinger. Oh, okay. Okay. He's the guy that took all of it. And that those were the ones that were all missing. So the heat wasn't even on Toby this whole time. It just, he got found out through the process. Right. And he was doing other things that were wrong. Sure. He, yeah. he just didn't do that. <laughs> that started the whole investigation, right? So here's what's interesting. Toby eventually uh, goes through the legal process of he gets an attorney. He's been indicted. A lot of other people have been indicted. His wife, let's start talk about his wife. And I can't remember her name, to be honest with you. Julie Kurtzinger. Oh, it's Julie. All right. Uh, well, that's what happens yeah. when you start drinking bourbon. Julie, you forget things. You know, and, and that's a that's a good segue here to uh, to kind of pause on is we have been enjoying some old fashioned cocktails. We uh, didn't use the Buffalo thing. Trace. We didn't use the Buffalo Trace. We used, we used a some, trash bourbon. We used some junk. That we'll talk about at some point. Because because honestly, Buffalo Chase, I think, is is a good sip in bourbon. I good would straight. Yeah. I would sip I would sip some Buffalo Trace. So Julie Kurtzinger, <laughs> she enters into what's called an Alfred plea. You know what that is, Don? I've never heard of that phrase in my life. So in Kentucky, which we don't have this in Indiana. It's kind of like uh, what's called pleading no contest. You know what that means? I do know what that means. It's, what's that mean to you? You're not guilty, but you have enough evidence to convict me. Basically, yeah. yeah so okay. like you're not admitting that you did this. Right. But you admit the government can prove you did it. You're you're sitting there going, I. it looks like I'm in a really bad place right now. I can't prove that I didn't do it. Which is interesting. I don't have the actual court filings. I don't have the actual police Again, citizens of Kentucky, if you can help us out on that, please do. Right. Because I don't understand how the government could have proved it based on the information I have on Julie. Okay. Not on Toby, but on Julie. Toby is definitely guilty. Yeah. Well, that's my opinion. He did enter an admission. Therefore, he was convicted. Um, And I'm sure we'll get into some true crime that people admit to things that they definitely didn't do. Yeah. I don't know how uh, the government could have proven that Julie did this. I don't know. I don't know the case well enough. Uh, And by that, I mean, I don't, I don't have the actual court filings or the actual police reports. 
I don't know what exhibits they were going to introduce. I don't know any of that. I'm based off of uh, basically some random uh, news articles I could find from it because this is back, like I said, 2015 and 2017 is essentially when the uh, the cases started yeah. in the actual uh, court proceedings. So I'm limited in what I know. Here's something that's interesting that came up uh, during the uh, court proceedings against Toby Kurtzinger. So I already mentioned he did eventually plead guilty, but before he pled guilty, his attorney filed a motion to suppress. Okay. Okay. Do you know what a suppression motion is? Uh, he's basically saying this isn't relevant to my case. I don't think it should be admitted. Not exactly. Okay. It's not saying it's not relevant. It's saying that this evidence was seized unconstitutionally. Gotcha. Okay. So the court has to hold a hearing on a motion to suppress. Okay. It's a weird motion. And by that, uh, I'll explain. In Indiana, if you file a motion to suppress a search warrant, then the defense does have the burden to prove that the search warrant was invalid because it's signed by a judge. They're saying that this evidence, whatever it is, this should not be admitted against my client or should not be admitted against the defendant. So it's a weird motion in the sense that the defense files it, but the state or the government still has the burden of proof. Here's what's interesting. Uh, I don't know what the motion to suppress said. In a news article about this particular suppression motion, it's unclear to me whether or not they challenged the search warrant or they challenged the information that led to the search warrant. Gotcha. Now, depending on the way the motion was phrased, who knows who had to provide evidence first. But I can tell you what the suppression was about. Basically, the defense alleged that the officers viewing those barrels of bourbon on Kurt Singer's property violated his constitutional rights. Okay. Now, in the docuseries, the Netflix docuseries, I don't think they get it right factually. And here's why. Because in the docuseries, it shows them going onto his property, removing a tarp that were over the barrels, and viewing them. You can't do that without, like, paperwork or permission from the owner. Without a search warrant or an exception to a search warrant. Okay. Based on my reading of this article, uh, the judge determined that Toby Kurtzinger did not have standing to challenge what they observed on the outside of his property and that they were in plain view. So the Fourth Amendment of the United States Constitution guarantees you the right to be free from unreasonable searches and seizures. From the government. From the government. Not right. anyone else, but the okay. government. So police forces. Right. So what the Supreme Court of the United States decided is that this means... That anything you have a reasonable expectation of privacy in cannot be searched without a search warrant or eventually a lot of uh, search warrant exceptions came up. So there's the easiest one to explain is exigency circumstance. What that means is that the police get told there's a bomb in that car over there. Ah. They don't need a way to get a search warrant. Sure. That that would be an exigent circumstance. If someone's actively getting hurt, 
Yeah. Gotcha. It's all up to a judge. So they're to judge whether or not this was actually an exigent circumstance. Sure. But we're not even there with this. Right. Based on the court's ruling, the court ruled a couple of things. And again, I'm limited to what news articles say about this. Based on the articles that I've read, it seems to me, and this is me hypothesizing, essentially, that one, the judge ruled that you don't have a reasonable expectation of privacy in items on your property that are in plain view. Okay. That makes sense. So if you have a pot leaf plant, right, growing sure. in your front yard, you don't have a reasonable expectation if of privacy. Can, if they can drive by on the street and, and see, see it. Yeah. The other thing that the judge ruled is that he didn't have standing to challenge that initial search of the barrel. So I mentioned that the docuseries indicated that they went onto his property, mm-hmm. removed a tarp or saw these barrels. Sure. I don't think that's factually how it went. So my reading of it is that they were actually on the adjacent property. Okay. And they could see the barrels, but they do say that they could smell bourbon. Okay. I don't know how smelly a bourbon barrel is, but I do know if I smell bourbon, I know what it smells like. That's true. And I bet you law enforcement officers down in Kentucky. Oh, they know what bourbon smells like. Smells like. Yeah. Right. So, um, they, what I think happens, and I don't know this is that they were on the adjacent property. They see barrels and they smell bourbon. It was more than one. And I think it was a couple. Uh, it might have been five. And the other thing is, once they get the search warrant, they actually look at these barrels. They are blacked out on the top. So they don't know where they came from just by looking from the barrel. So any identifying marks. So they usually like brand the bur- the barrels. They would right. put Pappy or Weller or Buffalo Trace or whatever on the barrels. That was blacked out. Correct. 100% correct. So... Adjacent property. Adjacent property. Let's talk about that. Why standing wouldn't be an issue. So if a cop goes on my neighbor's property and sees illegal activity on my property, all right? With permission from your neighbor. Even without. Okay. Who cares? Sure. Not that they should do that, but let's say they do. Okay. Okay. I can't challenge what they saw on my neighbor's property onto my property because I don't own that property. If they're on my property, I have standing to challenge it. The easiest way to explain standing in this country is, let's say I'm a passenger in your car, Dylan. We're driving around. Sure. We get stopped. And... The officer decides he's going to search your car. Let's say he finds drugs in your car, and I get charged with that. Let's say that the search, not the traffic stop. Let's say you didn't use your signal or you were speeding or something. The stop is fine, but the search was unconstitutional. I can't challenge that search. As the passenger, I could challenge the stop. Because that is a seizure of my person. But they're searching something that's not mine. That's not yours. Interesting. So even though I could get charged with an offense, I don't have standing to challenge that Hmm. search. So if someone's on the adjacent property 
and officers on the adjacent property they're observing things for the purpose of gaining probable cause to then apply for a search warrant. Toby Kurtzinger can't challenge it. And this is this is just you based on what you know of the law hypothesizing. Correct. Okay. I do know that on the Netflix series, it made it seem like they entered his property sure. to go look at these barrels. Which to you immediately stands out as like a that wouldn't they wouldn't have been able to do what they did with that information. I've also been on the Reddit forums with this gotcha. and a bunch of people were like, why was that not challenged? Sure. It was challenged. And the judge made a ruling that Kersinger last lacks standing, which to so me that's where you get the, resonates gotcha. the theory that they weren't on his property when gotcha. they observed these things. Gotcha. Because he would have standing if it was on his property. Right. To challenge that. Gotcha. Interestingly enough, he has to prove standing. It's possible that he was not called as a witness and they did enter his property and he was never called as a witness to say that's my property. Sure. But I doubt it. Because it's really rare that you call the defendant up on the stand to testify against himself. Right. Because you have the right against self-incrimination. Correct. You don't have to testify when you are the defendant in a criminal proceeding. Got it. However, if you testify in a suppression, more than likely the state can't use whatever information you provide in uh, for the purpose of convicting you later. Unless okay. you then testify at trial. And you say something different than what you said at the suppression, ah. right? Sure. For whatever it's worth, the suppression was denied on a couple bases. One, he didn't have a reasonable expectation of privacy of sure. those barrels um, that were in plain view, as the court indicated, on his property. From a public road or a neighbor's property. Right. And two, he didn't have standing to challenge where the officers were at the time. Gotcha. Whether it was a public property or the adjacent property, I don't know. Yeah. I don't actually it know. It likely that. wasn't on his property. Right. Okay. So they get a search warrant. They go and search his house. They find steroids. They find money. They find a lot of stuff. Uh, ultimately, a lot of Toby Kurtzinger's friends turn on him. Either for the purpose of getting a good plea deal, sure, or for immunity, and they're willing to testify against him. He they eventually save their own ass, right? He eventually takes a plea deal. His gotcha. plea deal, I don't know if it was a plea deal or an open sentencing. Um, I don't know how Kentucky does it in Indiana. A judge determines sentencing. It's not up to a jury, but he gets fifteen years. And my understanding from what I've read is that means 15 years incarceration because it was a pretty major felony what he committed. We're talking about larceny of a hundred thousand plus dollars. Absolutely. So he gets 15 years after 30 days. So he, he did the Pappy 15. Ha. No, he didn't. Cause after 30 days, Uh, there's a petition for his release on shock probation. Okay. Shock Explain probation. Explain that to me, yeah. Well, I only know it kind of somewhat. We don't have sure. that, at least where I'm from. Oh, that's a Kentucky thing. Maybe. Okay. Um, we, what not, we it's would, not an Indiana thing. 
We don't call it that. Okay. We might have a post-conviction relief where you can be released on community uh, supervision. Usually involves some home detention after the fact. Um, But this is something that seems to me a lot different because it was after 30 days of his initial sentence. He petitions for or is released 30 days after on what's called shock probation. That means he didn't have a criminal record. His offense was not violent. Um, basically, he's a good candidate for what's called shock probation. So he's going to be supervised by, I assume, the probation department in that sure. county. And he has rules. Usually rules of probation are... Can't do drugs, can't go get alcohol, can't be with other people who are known felons. Right. Um, can't leave the state without yep. written permission. Sometimes can't leave the county without written permission. Sure. Depending on how strict they want to be. Right. You got to pay all your fees, your probation user fees. You got to um, essentially let them know where you're living, mm-hmm. what your phone number is, those sorts of things. You have to be trackable. Right. They have to be able to find you. Right. So he gets released after 30 days. Um of a 15 year sentence originally. And so he's going to be on probation for several years. And I think he's going to be able or eligible for release here soon. His parole supervision ends in 2023. So he, he basically served 30 days of hard time. And I use air quotes and then people were kind of making sure that he didn't do it again for a few years and it seems like he hasn't if he hasn't been called back so he's stolen i don't know hundred thousand dollars of pappy hundred thousand plus and pretty much did 30 days of jail time for it yeah Hmm. so how do you how do you feel about that well i know for a fact that if i were to go down to buffalo trace distillery uh walk into their gift shop and buy a bottle of e.h taylor uh, I would be on E.H. Taylor probation for 90 days, which basically meant that I couldn't buy another bottle of E.H. Taylor for 90 days. And that's how they handle their allocations. So really he, yes. So he got a less strict form of probation punishment <laughs> from the government. <laughs> he could only steal Pappy within a 30 day period. Well, and then he, he was, can't have alcohol. Okay. That's true. So he's been on <laughs> parole for years. So I guess it's a little more strict than that. How do they track that driver's license? Actually, they scan your driver's license. No shit. Yeah. Interesting. So can you go down and buy one of each? If you're there for five days in a row. So they only have one offering per day and it's randomized. Holy shit. It's pretty intense how they how they figure that out. It's probably a result of people who work at the distillery taking bottles of everything. Maybe. So face value, he got 30 days for stealing Pappy. But really, he it's got several stealing, years. Stealing Pappy, though. Oh, it was, like you said, I it mean, was Eagle Rare. It was, it was whatever this, he could get his hands on. He did this for years. Right. And... You know, he got more than his fair share of allocated bourbon. Uh, yeah, and then sold it <laughs> right. for a markup. And 
you know, my position is there's a victim here, regardless of whether you want to say, well, it's Buffalo Trace. They make sure. millions of dollars, whatever. Like, that's still not right. Right. You know, like he took so much bourbon from his employer. That's a big old problem. Yeah. That's my position. Sure. Now you watch this docu-series, he kind of makes it seem like, wow, that's just the culture. My my position here is, yeah, okay, it's the culture to take a bottle off the rack here and there. You're taking several bottles. You're taking yeah. barrels. You're paying off security right. to sell it. Right. It's not, not like- to enjoy it. Not yeah, like, like, like honestly- it's the still the theft day. if you take not, it from the to enjoy it on your own. It's not stealing bread for your family to survive. It's not that kind of moral quandary. Yeah. It's a it's a luxury. This is not a miserable. Yeah. Okay. This is this dude stole this shit. You don't and need then sold bourbon. it. Right. You don't need bourbon. And honestly, had he just taken it? Some of you might. And put it in his cabinet and just drank it? Sure. I bet you nothing he, would have ever happened to him. He probably wouldn't have needed more than, I don't know. If somebody said, Zach, you have won a lifetime supply of Pappy Van Winkle 15 oh year. How many bottles do you think that is? I don't know. How many bottles would you? I mean, obviously you would down one in the in like that If night. I really like it. If you won a lifetime supply of Pappy 15, you drink one bottle in the first Depends, night. Depends, because I've heard some people don't like Pappy. I've never had it. Well, it's a weighted bourbon, which right. is kind of, if you're a bourbon purist, it's corn, rye, barley. Leave us a comment no about wheat? that. No wheat? I don't want to say that I'm not a fan of weeded bourbon. It's just that I haven't. We'll get a weeded bourbon, maybe for next time. I know that Zek is a fan of weeded bourbons. I didn't think I was, but I am. All right. Well, that's all I got on Happy Gate. You got any questions about the case? Or no. I think uh, I think you've covered it pretty well. If if anybody else has any questions, um, definitely comment wherever you're listening. We're on all major podcasting platforms. Um, so it, especially if you're on Apple Podcasts, please leave us a rating because it definitely helps us to get into the conversation. Um, comment wherever you're listening to. If you can't comment on whatever platform you're listening on, uh, send us an email at reasonablepoor at gmail.com. Uh, you can also follow us on Facebook, facebook.com slash reasonablepoor. Uh, but pretty much anywhere you can find us, uh, and, and for a hub of all of those things where you can find all of that information, uh, you can just go to reasonablepoor. Dot com. This has been Beyond a Reasonable Board podcast. Uh, we thank you all for listening. Please like, comment, share, and subscribe. Mm-hmm.